0: Hi, and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host, Renee Bennett, and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Hello, happy Wednesday, and welcome to another episode of Girl Next Door podcast, episode 46. Guys, I'm going to get straight into it today because, again, I've got so much I want to cover with you. So, this is kind of like a part two of last week um, on deconstruction. But today, I want to flip the tables a little bit and talk to those of us that perhaps are struggling with our own faith and our own beliefs in God. So, I want to talk to all of you out there today, or perhaps you're a leader, and this is just going to be great information for you guys also. So I've got a lot to cover. I've either got to speak fast or split this into two. So let's see how we go. And also thank you for those that went and rated my podcast. I really appreciate that. If you guys could keep going, that would be amazing. All right. So Last week, I spoke about deconstruction as one of the new religions, an ideology that's being taught in our universities, and really it's being peddled all over social media as one of the latest flavors of the month. And I spoke about how really it is a radical skepticism of authority and are moving towards self as the authority. So I deconstructed or unpacked its dangers and how I believe it will leave our young people with no purpose, no meaning in exchange for a wasteland of nothingness. I also spoke about it being part of a wider agenda to deconstruct not just religion, but every part of society. I didn't go into that side of it, but um, that's kind of where a lot of society is going, um, especially people wanting us to deconstruct any structures that have to do with any authority, which of course is opposite to what is good for us. However, I also said that some people deconstruct or pull apart what they believe because they're truly trying to understand what it is that they believe and for a lot of you, have believed since childhood because you have genuine questions and truly are seeking to better understand. And we should never be afraid of asking questions. In fact, as you know, almost every week I talk about how this is a really, really good thing. You know, as a mum, I'm not afraid of my kids asking difficult questions about God, about the Bible, about their faith, or about how our faith might apply to our everyday life. I think when they were really little, I probably was a bit afraid of questions they might ask as they got older. Um, At times I thought, oh my gosh, what if they don't believe the way that I believe? But as they got older and I got older, I decided that questions in our household were welcome, which is part of the reason, by the way, that my kids didn't go to a Christian school. They did at the very beginning, but after that, we took them out and put them into secular schools. And this is part of it. Um, You know, we might wrestle with our questions about God, about faith, about Christianity. But let me tell you, we're probably going to wrestle just as much with the answers. But I would rather that than you guys suppress your questions and later walk away all together. So I think it's important that we have the difficult conversations. Now, I think a huge part of why young people walk away from their faith is because we have not been brave enough to face their questions and then together wrestle with the answers. We do this at Academy almost weekly. In fact, every week we do. In the morning, we have a session called Theo Thursday, Theology Thursday, and um, we wrestle with questions together. This week, we looked at this very question, why did we think that young people are walking away from the church? Now, there are things that are unsettling about the Bible, about Christianity, about God. But let me just remind you that humanity has been disbelieving in God since the beginning. It's not new. So it's not something we have to be afraid of. But today I want to look at why people, including perhaps yourself or someone you know or someone you've looked up to that you can see um, is now thinking about walking away from their faith as leaders. I think it's good for us to have this discussion because there might be young people in our care who start to question their faith. And so this is good for us to think about, even if we ourselves personally don't question it. So I want to wrestle with the question, what if I struggle to believe in God anymore? What if my faith doesn't seem to have an answer to something that I'm seeing happening in society? So I want to help you move toward, back toward or toward God by looking at these hard questions. So we're going to look at three reasons why people might want to walk away from their faith or from Christianity. Okay, so you're going to walk away today with three good reasons that I'm going to really unpack thoroughly. So the first one is this that we might find ourselves as an adult with a childhood version of God. Okay, that's the number one reason why people might walk away from their faith is we become an adult and we realize we have a childhood version of God. So when we become an adult, a childhood version of God is really not enough to sustain our faith. So when the God of our childhood no longer makes sense to the God of our adulthood, it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to want answers. It's kind of like being an adult and still having a childhood version of Father Christmas. Like we would think that's ridiculous. Imagine if you still believed all the things you used to believe about Father Christmas now that you're in your 20s or your 30s. Like, you know, we for fun still put out the carrot and the milk for the reindeers, I mean, seriously, if you're in your 20s or 30s and <clears throat> you still think that Father Christmas is going to come down the Australian chimney and, um, and the reindeers are going to eat that, then that would be, uh, that would be really concerning. <laughs> so, you know, our, our understanding of things like Santa or the tooth fairy evolves and matures, but somehow we leave our theology behind and that remains infantile. So remember in the last podcast, I talked about how we have to grow up in our faith like we do in every aspect of our lives. And that came from 1 Peter, um, where it talks about growing up in our salvation. We have to move beyond a child version of our faith. So when we're a child, you know, all of us at one time wonder the great question that parents hate answering, by the way, where do babies come from? Now, the answer that a parent would give to a five-year-old will be very different to the answer that you give a 15-year-old. It's okay when you're five to say, well, a baby comes from your mummy's tummy. And when the kid walks away thinking, cool, that's enough, we're like, fuel, we dodged a bullet. But when you're 15, that's not enough anymore. You need more. And it's exactly the same with God, with your faith, with Christianity. Some of you haven't realized that you're still believing a version of God that you had in your childhood. And now you have adult questions about a childhood faith. Perhaps you've had adult questions and they haven't been answered. You've perhaps received faith-based answers to your fact-based questions. Maybe you converted to Christianity as a child, but then you went to a non-religious environment like uni. And it might've just dawned on you. I don't know if I believe this anymore. Or maybe something happened, a big event, you experienced a faith crushing event, something terrible happened, or someone that you love passed away, or something just doesn't make sense anymore. And it caused you to start asking adult questions of this childhood faith. And you can't reconcile the God, the God of your childhood with your today's reality. And what happens is we can't deny reality. So instead we decide, well, I can't believe God instead. The problem is even more complex when the childhood version that we're often told about God is wrong. And that's what I want to look at, that the version you were told or came to believe somehow when you were a child never actually existed anyway. And a lot of the ones we grew up with, we shouldn't believe that that version of God exists. And that's the God that we're we're thinking of walking away from. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a God who does exist. So I want to look at a few of these versions of God. I want to quickly go through five of them. And these, by the way, are from Andy Stanley, who does a really good series on this. And you can look it up and listen to it for more. But the first is some of us had this version of God, which he calls the bodyguard God. The bodyguard God. This is the idea that, you know, God would take care of me. And he won't let bad things happen. But then bad things happen and suddenly your faith is undermined. You know, a lot of really bright people and people who really loved God abandon their faith because of personal pain and suffering or pain and suffering in the world. But this is a leftover from our childhood. So if you've been disappointed by a God who lets bad things happen, that version of God was wrong to start with. In fact, the Bible says that good and bad happens to all of us alike. So no one should have ever presented God to you as this bodyguard who will never let a bad thing happen to you or someone that you love. Now, it might not even be that someone specifically said that to you, but maybe that's just the idea that you got of God through different, you know, Sunday school, um, kids church um, lessons or, you know, it was just something that you grew up kind of somehow believing so when we see bad things happen to good people sometimes what we do is we hold it against God but that means that we're making based on what we've been taught or picked up as a kid we're making an assumption that God claimed he would never allow bad things to happen to good people but he never made such a claim there is no such claim in the Bible in fact it's the opposite in fact Even beyond the Bible, Christianity started from something bad happening to the most wonderful person in the world, Jesus. All the people of the Christian faith in the Bible were treated terribly by the Roman Empire. You know, so if you lost faith in the bodyguard God, then good, because he never existed. The whole idea of a God who protected you from things is the wrong God. So that's the first kind. Second kind of God is the on demand God. So this is the God. Who responds to fair and selfless requests the way that we would? And what happens is we think that, you know, God's this on demand, we ask, He answers, and we're shaken when we don't get what we ask for. You know, just the reasonable things. We expect God to do for us what we would do for someone, not anything big. But however, maybe you asked and you heard nothing, or you asked for a sign and you saw nothing, or perhaps you asked for a miracle and you received nothing. So we come to the conclusion that there mustn't be a God. And you know what? You're right, because that God, he also doesn't exist. Who told you that God always responds the way that you expect? That God is under some obligation to respond the way that we want and in, in in truth, I'm glad that he doesn't, because if God did what I asked when I was 15, who knows what I would have got. <laughs> I'm really glad that he doesn't answer some of the prayers in hindsight. Okay, the third kind of God that sometimes is a childhood version that we come to struggle with in our adult years is the boyfriend God. Now, this is one that I hear a lot, um, that we expect to always feel the presence of God, that He's a God whose presence is always felt because if God is with me, I should always feel it. And of course, we have moments with God to back this up, like moments at a camp or a worship moment or just a moment, maybe even in your room when you were reading the Bible and a moment where you really sense the presence of God. And then after that, perhaps you don't feel it anymore. As you get older, you feel it less. And reading the Bible feels flat, going to church feels flat, and you just don't feel it anymore. And so you come to the conclusion that since I don't feel his presence, he must not be present. Um, But, you know, where did that idea come from that we should always feel the presence of God? Because what happens is then we go for months and years, we never feel it. And then we think, well, he mustn't exist. And that's correct. Again, that kind of God doesn't exist. He is not dependent on our feeling for him. Another kind of um, God, I think it's our fourth one, is the guilt God. So this is a God who controls you through guilt and fear. And maybe that's what you felt as a child. And now as an adult, this doesn't sit well with you anymore. You feel perhaps manipulated. You know, the idea that God will or won't be happy with you if... You know, I was thinking about this and I kind of might be guilty of this. I hate to admit this, but I think there were some times when I told my kids, you know, if you do something wrong and you hide it, that God's going to tell me. And I kind of look back at that as maybe an upsadaisy in my parenting because they might have done stuff that was wrong and God probably didn't tell me. And I was trying to guilt them into good behavior but I used God and that was wrong. Uh, And I probably was parenting out of fear. Sorry, kids, if any of you listen to this (laughs) and I did that. You know, we kind of get the guilt. like if anything's enjoyable, God mustn't be approving of it. Um, Who told you about that God? If you grew up in a high guilt environment and you got away, well done. Because that, again, that is not the real God. And the last one is the anti-science God. I think this one's kind of coming more and more to the forefront. So you grew up with the idea that you kind of have to quit thinking and start believing. So you were perhaps told to stop asking questions or shut down if you ever asked questions. Perhaps something that we're taught at school, which is backed by science, contradicts something that we might have been taught to believe from the Bible. So perhaps we've been trying to reconcile things like that. You know, like, was the world really made in seven literal literal days? Or if the Bible talks about homosexuality being a sin, how does that explain people who were born feeling that way, or the animals who display homosexual behavior? So we have kind of this, you know, this science side of things, but then perhaps we got shut down from asking questions because it didn't line up with the Bible. So it's like we were forced to choose between undeniable science or an unreliable religion. And in that case, it takes a lot. Of courage to kind of keep going towards an unre- what we might consider an unreliable religion when we've got really deny- undeniable science in front of us. So you perhaps have felt asked to ignore what is undeniable and you can no longer continue to pretend and defend. So when religion and science conflict, you have to go with what you can't deny. But you know what? We become a Christian through faith but we aren't Christians because we just believe things. So God or science, that's kind of a false alternative. So a good example is Christian parents who have sick kids, we take them to the doctor, not to church. We don't reject science. We don't, it's not one or the other, science or God. Why would we reject science if we use it for other things? For example, like health, Where did we get the idea that we had to reject science in order to believe in God? And if you've walked away from that God again, then I say, that's a good thing because it's not one or the other. We don't serve an anti-science God. He is not an anti-science God. So none of these gods, I just went through five of them, none of them exist. Maybe perhaps there was another version of God that you grew up with. And if you are questioning that version of God, then that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, but these are not reasons for or against anything. Do you know what these are? These are unmet expectations that stem from childhood explanations or even manipulation. They're not an argument against God. They're not a reason for why God doesn't exist. It's just an unmet expectation that stems from a childhood explanation or experience. Where did your view of the God that you have a hard time believing in originate from? do you feel like you've outgrown that God? And I want to encourage you today, don't walk away from a God who never existed anyway. Okay. So that was the first reason why people might walk away from Christianity. Okay. That we find ourselves as an adult with a childhood version of God. The second thing, this is going to blow your mind is this. There are things in the Bible that don't make sense to me. That's another reason why people might walk away. This is a huge reason why I see people deconstructing faith, Christianity, and God on Instagram is they start grabbing pieces of the Bible, scriptures of the Bible, concepts in the Bible, and they pull them apart and they use the Bible and say, this doesn't make sense. This is toxic. Therefore, the whole of Christianity is toxic. So perhaps you, like me, were brought up to believe Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In other words, I can believe that Jesus loves me because it's in the Bible. So the implication is that the Bible is the reason we believe. You know, that whole concept of if the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it. I want to challenge this today. Stick with me. This is going to blow your mind. You know, we go to university like this with the whole Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And then we discover all of a sudden that just believing in the Bible doesn't settle it. What if there are things that the in the Bible that are not absolutely true? What? <laughs> Stick with me. What if there are things in the Bible that people are now telling me are toxic? What if there are things in the Bible that seem judgmental and harsh and against everything I've been taught in school, like being tolerant? What if people start to point out contradictions in the Bible or, or come up with things like there's no historical evidence that there was a worldwide flood or there's no historical proof that Job was a man who actually existed or the earth is not 6,000 years old like we've been taught to believe in Sunday school but the scientific evidence says it's more like billions of years old. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, we're in trouble. My Christianity then can't survive if everything in the Bible is not absolutely true. And so it creates this extraordinary tension. So maybe you were shut down as a kid. You came home from school saying, today I learned, da, da, da. And then you were just shut down because our parents didn't know how to answer it. So they just said, well, no, we don't believe that. But they didn't talk any further about it. So then what happens is we start wondering, well, is everything in the Bible 100% true? Because if not, then my whole faith comes tumbling down. And then we feel this pressure to defend the Bible, because if we don't, we can't defend our Christianity, and it puts the Bible in the center of the debate. Okay, this is so unnecessary. What I'm about to tell you, I'm guaranteeing you this is going to blow your mind. It's going to challenge your thinking. Um, I've done the research for you, but feel free to go do your own. Um, some of this comes from Andy Stanley, so you can look him up, but I want to tell you this, that Christianity is far more endurable than that. If you stepped away or you're thinking of stepping away, or you're confused because something doesn't make sense, or you were told something isn't true, there's an adult version here that's far less fragile. And here's the great news. Are you ready for it? this is like, I want to say this in capital letters. Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Christianity. Did you get that? Let me say that again. Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. It's the other way around. The Bible exists because of Christianity. So let me explain to you why this is so freaking significant. So Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Your birth certificate documents something that happened. It documents your birth. The Bible documents something that happened. I'm going to give you a short version of history here. Stay with me, okay? stay with me. Jesus was born in about two or three BC, as best we can tell. Okay. And then as we know, 33 years later, so around 30 AD, he was crucified. And about two months later, the church was launched. Now, all the New Testament documents were written somewhere between 49 or 69 AD, and there's reasons for that, but I don't have time to go into it, okay? So a lot of the New Testament documents, and others as well, but the ones included in the New Testament were written 20 or 30 years after Jesus died, okay? Which means that these things were written while the people that wrote them, the eyewitnesses, were still alive. So the New Testament writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, they didn't write these documents like they were stories, but they were writing them like they were history. Okay. Now, in the first century, there was an absolute explosion of documentation about the life of Jesus. In fact, there was nothing else to match this. And the reason is it was so expensive and such hard, long, tedious work to get things written down on, they didn't write on paper, whatever it was, the wax paper and whatever else they wrote on. It was so tedious and expensive that there wasn't, you know, a lot of copies of different things made. But when it came to the life of Jesus, there was an explosion of documentation. In fact, nothing else matched this explosion until the creation of the printing press. Okay, do you get this? This is going to blow your mind, guys. Stay with me. Now, what do you make copies of? You make copies or take photos of things or scan things that are important So the things that all of these people wrote down about Jesus, because it was so expensive and precious, the fact that so many copies were made is really significant. So what happened? They became thousands and thousands of documents, some of which are now known as books of the New Testament. And these were copied hundreds of times, thousands of times, because people knew that they were so important and precious, because these were eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus, Like Jesus was history making, and everyone at the time that lived around that time knew it. People didn't make copies of these documents, these eyewitness accounts, because they believed that they were inspired. They made them because they believed they were true. These were true accounts of what happened to Jesus, and they were circulated all over the known world. It'd literally be like, dude, dude, do you have one of those documents? Do you have that document that Luke wrote? Dude, look, just sit here while I copy it. And because it was so precious. Let, let me have a copy. I want to have a written copy of this myself. And you'd sit there and you copy it and then you give the original one back. And that's how it, it, it spread. Now, between the resurrection of Jesus, okay, which was 30 AD, and then there was a really important emperor, Constantine, Between the time of Jesus' resurrection and by the time that Constantine became emperor of Rome, which happened hundreds of years later, okay, in 324 AD, so just under 300 years later, in that time, Christianity grew and grew and grew. In fact, it exploded. So from 30 AD, when Jesus was resurrected, to 324 AD, when Constantine became emperor of Rome... It literally exploded so much so that even Constantine, who, by the way, let me tell you this, Christianity was considered atheism at the time. Everyone thought that that was the wrong God that they were believing, but it became so explosive and so many people became Christians that even Constantine converted to Christianity. Now, remember, the Bible as we know it, guys, still didn't exist. What was being circulated were the eyewitness accounts, historical accounts of the life of Jesus. Mind blown. Christianity made its greatest strides during the 280 something years before the Bible even existed. Did you get that? Christianity made its greatest strides before the Bible as we know it existed. Can you see where I'm going with this? Let me be clear. From 30 AD, the death and resurrection of Jesus, to 324 AD, the rule of Constantine, Christianity was spread like wildfire, but it was not because the Bible said. You know, Jewish scriptures weren't combined, which, which became the Old Testament, were not combined with New Testament until 350 AD after the birth of Christ. The Bible as we know it, the oldest copy that we have, is 350 years or so after the birth of Jesus. Until then, it was just some documents being written, copied, distributed, gathered. And the first time that the word Bible was put on this collection was in 388 AD. Can you see where I'm going? This is super freaking exciting. Before the Old Testament and New Testament were combined and called by the Bible, Christianity was already the state religion of the Roman Empire. Therefore, Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Christianity. So when people want to pull the Bible apart, And tell you that the Bible contradicts itself and tells you that something in the Bible is wrong or untrue or historically incorrect. Guess what? My faith doesn't exist because the Bible tells me so. Because Christianity existed before the Bible was put together as a book. First, second, third century Christians believed that Jesus loved them before the Bible told them so. So if you want to try and pull my faith in God apart by pulling the Bible apart? You can't do it. Imagine if someone from the future came back to have a conversation with John and and go, hey, hey, John, there's no evidence for a worldwide flood. In fact, people are really skeptical about the idea that the Hebrew people migrated to a promised land. You need to get your facts straight, John. He'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is I watched my friend die. I saw the empty tomb. I had breakfast on the beach with him. All I know is he died. He rose from the dead. He predicted his own death and resurrection. My faith doesn't hold by the threat of verifying everything in the Old Testament, but I'm not a follower of Jesus because the scripture, but because he rose from the dead. That's what he would say. You know, for the first 300 years, the debate never centered on a book. It centered on an event about Jesus, did he live, walk this earth, die on the cross and rise on the third day? And there is an overwhelming amount of documentation that says that that happened. So when we ask that question about Jesus, did he exist? Did he die? Did he rise? Matthew says, yes, he did. Mark says, yes, he did. Luke says, yes, he did. James, the brother of Jesus says, yes, he did. John says, yes, he did. Christianity doesn't hang by the thread of the Bible tells me so. It was never about a book. It is still not about a book. It's about the person, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There is no explanation for the success of the church other than if if, if it was just built around a book. It was the success of the church is based around the fact that Jesus historically walked this earth and the eyewitness accounts of Jesus our faith is way bigger than even the Bible. It's way better than that. Even though I love the Bible, we, we all love the Bible, of course. I'm not, I'm not minimizing the, the Bible, but nobody ever used to question, by the way, the authority of the Bible for years. You know, that's a new thing. It's actually our own fault in a way. We shifted our focus to defending the Bible. Nobody ever questioned the authority of the Bible. That was just, like I said, it documented that something happened. I don't look at your birth certificate and go, oh, I believe that let me see, let me pick Erin. She listens every week. Hey Erin. Let let me let me see. I'm not gonna believe that Erin existed until I see her birth certificate. Let me cite her birth certificate. Now let's pull it apart. Now I'm not so sure she existed because there's a few issues I see on the birth certificate. It doesn't work that way. Erin's in front of me. She's real, alive, breathing. Jesus was real, alive, breathing, died on the cross. It's not about a book, it's about a person. So what happened is we ran into information that made the Bible indefensible. And so now people think they only have to show you a part of it that might be questionable. And that gives them and you the intellectual reason to walk away. Jesus loves me is true. It's the second part that your adult faith needs to bring into question. Jesus loves you, this you know not because the bible tells you so but because john who watched his friend die and had breakfast with jesus on the beach a few days later told you so jesus loves you this you know because luke who thoroughly investigated the events and interviewed eyewitnesses made sure and to make sure it was so told me so because paul who hated christians and risked his life to tell you so because jesus and all of his original followers Were martyred because they believed it was so. And because the early church defied an entire empire because they were convinced it was so. So the reason that there's a way back to your adult version of your faith, the grown up version of your faith from your childhood, really has little to do with the book and everything to do with a person. That's why I won't get into arguments with people about the Bible. Because you can pick and pull apart the Bible, but my faith isn't resting upon that. My faith rests on the person of Jesus Christ. Those who were closest to the event documented it, not what they believed. They didn't document what they believed, they documented what they saw. So if you stepped away because the Bible didn't add up, reconsider. Because the issue isn't the Bible, it really is and always has been Jesus. How exciting is that, guys? I'm blown away myself again. So we've looked at two reasons. Let me just say before I, before I finish on that bit, Jesus didn't disrupt a whole empire because of a, because of a book, but because of a resurrected savior. He was the resurrected savior. Deconstructionists can pick apart the Bible until their hearts are content. They can tell me that it's toxic and that's toxic and this is toxic It really, literally does nothing to move me. And I pray that after this, it does nothing to move you. Because as much as I love the Bible and live my life by it, it's not the source of my faith. A person is, and that person is Jesus. He is why Christianity has and always will continue to explode. He loves you, this I know. So that's two reasons why people walk away but don't need to. Firstly, is they have an adult Find themselves with as an adult with a childhood version of their faith. Secondly, that there are things in the Bible that perhaps don't make sense to them. And the third reason I want to finish with this that they've decided or are thinking about walking away is because they've been hurt by someone in the church. Let me speak into this as we close. The church is made up of humans, and humans guess what? Oh, rocket science are imperfect. And when you interact with people, you're going to get hurt. So we need to change the way we think about this. We need to change the way we teach our kids and our young people. We need to change the way we think, uh, teach about this in our churches. That it's not a matter of if you get hurt, but it's actually a matter of when. It's inevitable. We will experience offense or disappointment or hurt of some kind. But if we're properly taught, we know that this is not exclusive to the church It's just exclusive to the whole of humanity. You're going to get hurt in your family. You're going to get hurt amongst your friends at school. You're going to get hurt perhaps by a peer peer at work. Your lecturer at uni might say something that you don't like or that hurts your feelings, your spouse, your kid. Instead, we need to be taught what to do when we experience these things so that when we do the foundation of our entire faith doesn't crumble to blame and walk away is actually to not take personal responsibility now i'm not saying that you had any fault in the hurt but we do have a choice with what to do from there and guys i'm i'm saying this from personal experience honestly cameron and i could have been hurt so many times over the years there are so many instances that come to mind where different people in the church might have heard us, but you know what? I've experienced it in everywhere that I've been. Like I remember when we felt led to move on from one particular church community and you wouldn't believe some of the petty things that were done and said and threatened and whatever else. Now we could have said, oh, church is toxic. Church leadership is toxic. Christianity is toxic. Faith is toxic. Do better church. Do better pastors but you know what? Yes, it was wrong. And yes, we can do better, but we didn't walk away because of that. Because at the end of the day, and this is literally how I would think about it at the time when it happened, I knew that these people were humans and that they were dealing with a situation the best that they knew how, and it was imperfectly. And they were hurt that we were leaving. And I totally get that. It didn't mean that I was manipulated to stay either, But what happened is we chose to be the bigger people and we kept um, moving back toward them and moving toward them and moving toward them. And now we're in great relationship with all of these people. So please hear my heart today that if you're in church world, you're going to get hurt. And that's not a reason to then say that the whole of Christianity and faith is toxic, because in that case, we might as well pull apart the whole of humanity because we're all imperfect. So instead we need to teach our kids and rethink ourselves how to deal with it when we do get hurt. All right, so there you go. Three reasons why people perhaps are thinking about or have walked away from their faith, but don't need to. Adult with a childhood version, thinking that there are things in the Bible that don't make sense and being hurt by someone. I really hope that that has helped to answer your questions or given you perspective. And for some of you, perhaps even moved you back towards um, the faith of your childhood or whenever it was that you came to faith, because I know for me, I wouldn't live my life any other way. So there you go, guys. I love you so much. And I'm really praying that you have a really, really good, really good week this week, that you have... Great, great um, things happen for you this week that you will find yourself blessed and protected and I cannot wait to chat with you next week. So I'll see you then. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.